Last week, we were in chapter 3 of Esther, and we were reflecting on having the courage and the strength to act in those what we were calling right place, right time moments. And we actually started out by talking about the wrong place and the wrong moments, and just about everyone was nodding along that we've all had experiences where we're in the wrong place at the wrong time, and we have to make certain decisions. But we also have moments in our lives where we are going to be in the right place at the right time. Just yesterday, a woman named Natalia Abelavia had one of those moments. Clutching a phone number of a woman she had never met, Natalia crossed the border from Ukraine into Hungary on Saturday, yesterday. And she was entrusted with a precious cargo, a stranger's children. Earlier that day, waiting at the border, crossing on the Ukrainian side, Natalia had met a desperate 38-year-old man from her hometown. He had his young son and daughter with him, but he would not be allowed to cross over because of the restrictions against men being able to leave the country right now. Their father simply handed over the two kids to me and trusted me giving me their passports to bring them over. 58-year-old Natalia said, the arms of the young boy she had known for just a few hours around her neck. You see, the children's mother was on her way from Italy. She had been out of the country. And she was rushing home to meet them and take them to safety, and she couldn't get home, so she had to find the nearest border to go to. She wanted to take them to safety. And the father gave her the mother's mobile number and said goodbye in the cold to his bundled up children. Natalia had left her own two grown-up children behind in Ukraine. One is a policeman, one is a nurse, and they remained to help their country. She took the two small children by the hand and together they crossed the border and once in Hungary they waited and waited and waited for hours, sitting on a bench near a tent set up for the safety and the steady flow of all the refugees, tens of thousands. The little boy was crying when his mobile phone rang, and it was his mother. She was nearly at the border post. When 33-year-old Anna arrived, she hugged her son, and she went to her daughter, lying exhausted in the back of a car and wrapped in a pink blanket. And then she looked at Natalia and thanked her. Standing in the cold on the scrubby ground, two women embraced for several minutes and started to cry. The reporter who was there to witness it and record the story said it's the only time in all of her years of reporting that she ever cried on the story that she was reporting. For you and me in the times and places we find ourselves in, we are reminded that God has already spoken a word that remains in place for his people in all times and in all places. 
It's that word we shared last week. Be strong and courageous, for I am with you. It was God's word to Joshua in the Old Testament, and it's Jesus' final word to his disciples before returning to heaven. I am with you until the end of the age. It is this abiding presence of God that can move us to act in moments when sometimes we least expect it. In fact, trusting God in this way actually develops and inspires our boldness. Whether you think you are a bold and courageous person or not, it is the very Spirit of God, alive and well in this world, that can inspire you to act. Today's section of Esther, as we read through a section of it, shows the development of Esther's courage as well. It is a defining moment in her life, a critical time of decision. But how did she get to this point? And what do we see that can encourage and help us as we face our own decisions and choices in the world today? I want to highlight two elements of a conversation between Esther and Mordecai that show just a little bit about how God was working in this instance and what God expects of his people, even if we never encountered the name of God in the entire book of Esther. We can sense and see and feel that God is at work. In chapter 3, let me read a couple of verses just going back. We know that there was an edict to exterminate the Jews living in the Persian Empire. Let me read verse 8 in chapter 3. It says, then Haman, remember Haman is the bad guy in this story. He had that long blood feud with his people group and the Jewish people. And he's finally in a position in the Persian Empire to get back at people that he has long hated. Then Haman said to King Xerxes, There is a certain people dispersed among the peoples in all the provinces of your kingdom who keep themselves separate. Their customs are different from those of all other people, and they do not obey the king's laws. It is not in the king's best interest to tolerate them. If it pleases the king, let a decree be issued to destroy them, and I will give 10,000 talents of silver to the king's administrators for the royal treasury. So the king took his signet ring from his finger and gave it to Haman, son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, the enemy of the Jews. Keep the money, the king said to Haman, and do with the people as you please. This edict results in great mourning throughout the entire empire, all the little pockets in the Persian Empire. Remember, the Persian Empire stretched all the way from like Ethiopia all the way across the world to the Indian subcontinent, so it's massive. This is what Mordecai does, chapter 4. When Mordecai learned of all that had been done, he tore his clothes, put on sackcloth and ashes, and went out into the city wailing loudly and bitterly. He felt such a heart for his people. Verse 2, But he went only as far as the king's gate, because no one clothed in sackcloth was allowed to enter it. 
In every province to which the edict and order of the king came, there was great mourning among the Jews, with fasting, weeping, and wailing. Many lay in sackcloth and ashes. Within the confines of the palace, though, Esther, who had been made queen, is a little bit more detached from what's happening. And when she hears that Mordecai is mourning, she wonders what is going on. So she wants to find out. Verse 4. When Esther's eunuchs and female attendants came and told her about Mordecai, she was in great distress. Remember, this is the man who basically raised her, her uncle, her adopted father. She sent clothes for him to put on instead of his sackcloth, but he would not accept them. Then Esther summoned Hathak, one of the king's eunuchs, assigned to attend her, and ordered him to find out what was troubling Mordecai and why. So Hathak went out to Mordecai in the open square of the city in front of the king's gate. Mordecai told him everything that had happened to him including the exact amount of money Haman had promised to pay into the royal treasury for the destruction of the Jews. He also gave him a copy of the text of the edict for their annihilation, which had been published in Susa, that was the capital, to show to Esther and explain it to her, and he told him to instruct her to go into the king's presence to beg for mercy and plead with him for her people. Hathak went back and reported to Esther what Mordecai had said. He instructs her what to do in this horrible situation. Mordecai knows that even though this has not been an ideal situation for Esther, she had no choice whether or not she was going to be queen or not. It was all dependent on the king's whim and will. And yet, Mordecai also knows that in this moment, she may be the only one who can speak for her people. Remember, a couple weeks ago, we said that they kind of kept her identity as a Jew secret from the king. Almost like it's a card to now be played without even realizing it at the time. And what is her initial response? Verse 11. All she instructed her attendant to say to Mordecai, all the king's officials and the people of the royal provinces know that for any man or woman who approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned, the king has but one law, that they be put to death, unless the king extends the gold scepter to them and spares their lives. But 30 days have passed since I was called to go to the king. She hasn't seen him in a month. That's her initial response. She is wondering, wow, this is a pretty big ask. It almost sounds impossible and will result in my death. I'm not so sure, Mordecai. I mean, I know that you are my adopted dad, but is this really what I need 
to do. You see, she is in the right place, and this is the right time, but she is scared. And it's only normal and natural that she's scared. And I think for you and me, it's also natural for in those moments where we're faced with making a decision, taking a step, some sort of action, whether it's something that we're looking forward to or not, that fear can rise up and create those doubts in our mind. This happens even when your life isn't on the line. In fact, that might be more normal in our experience. When we have a chance to act, you ever in that moment where suddenly your throat gets real dry, real quick? Those moments where you come before someone and you're like, and you're not quite sure in that moment. Mordecai's response to her reveals a lot. Let me read the next few verses. Verse 12. When Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer. Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows that, but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. We've said before that the will of God to bring about the salvation of the world, first through the Jews, Jesus' own people, would happen regardless. Nothing can thwart that plan. And yet, we also have said that God chooses to use us to continue his plans in this world, and he will use us, or sometimes in spite of us. His plan will always go forward with or without us. And Mordecai, at least at some level, has enough knowledge, enough sense to say this to her. That this might be your moment, your right place, and at just the right time. The ability to speak the word that only perhaps you alone, out of all the people, can say. His response reveals a lot. It's a rhetorical question. Perhaps you have been put in this position for just such a time as this. It's a question filled with hope planting the seed of possibility within the mind and bolstering the courage that already was present in her heart, but which she might not have been aware of at that moment. One of the things that I see in Mordecai's response is something that God does in the world, both then and today. God often uses others to break through our fear and resistance. You see, we are in positions where we have unique influence in our own ways. There are some times where you will still be fearful. There will still be times where perhaps you are resistant to what God is purposing to do through you and through me and through his church and indeed in this world. And sometimes he does put those people in your life, not just to annoy you, but to speak a word that perhaps you only hear from them. 
It's not the only way that God works. It's one of the ways. God often often uses other people in our lives as a way to almost move us or inspire us to act. Providing what you need to move, even if that is not an easy step. When I think about that, sometimes I, too, doubt if I can make a difference in the world, and perhaps you feel that at times. Things like, I'm just one person. I'm not very skilled. I'm not prepared. And I, sometimes in my mind, and I know some of you have shared stories like this, we create these but-what-if scenarios that keep us stuck. We start to convince ourselves, but what if he or she doesn't respond positively? But what if it doesn't work? But what if I don't know what to say? But what if I make a mistake? It's all lost? When I was thinking about this this week, it prompted another thought. What if we flip this thought around? But what if the other person does respond? What if it does work? Maybe not in the way that we intended. What if you are given what to say or do in that very moment? And what if you are able to learn and grow through that misstep? I think it's a very natural for us to fear things in life. And it's that natural fear that we have within us that can grab hold of us in this moment. And these are the times where leaning on the presence of God is more important than ever before. The good news is that even in the midst of fear, God is already there and aware. He may already be preparing someone else to speak into your life so that you can take the step that you know is necessary, or that at least God knows is necessary. You may not know that person well or even at all. Sometimes it's that random name that pops into your mind or that person you suddenly just happen to bump into in the grocery store. Perhaps God is looking at you as the person suited for the moment and is just waiting for you to act for such a time as this. All of us at some points or in our life, we will get to those points where we know we need to take a step. We need to act or make a decision, and what then? See, all of us can be courageous at times. Sometimes courageous without even thinking. Sometimes stupidly courageous. But solo courage only gets us so far. There's a phrase, no person is an island unto themselves. And it's true. God actually designed us to be formed together as a community. To exist together in relationship with one another from the very beginning of this world. And God accomplishes his purpose and will through people, but he knows that we often cannot do it alone. 
We need the support of others. As people of faith, we draw strength from outside of ourselves, especially when we do not feel strong. In fact, we regularly rely on God's strength, or we know we should. A strength that is not our own, and as God uses other people to support and build us up. The times in my life when I have felt the most inadequate, the weakest, even a fraud at times, is when God has put someone in my life to almost have faith for me. And some of you have had that experience as well. When you are not strong, I pray that there is someone who can be strong for you and with you in that moment. Esther demonstrates this for us. After hearing Mordecai's response, she makes a decision. Let me read verses 15 and 16. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Go, gather together all the Jews who are in Susa, and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my attendants will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. Quite a, quite a decision. And a decision to enlist the support and help of her community. Similar to when you or I enlist the support of our spiritual family. Through prayer, counsel, other spiritual disciplines, even just sharing our heart and our struggles. The call of scripture to bear one another's burdens together. In your life, you need the help of other people to support your faith, strengthen your courage, and give you the resolve to act in the right time and in the right place, the right moment. You may be the only one who can take that actual step, like Esther. No one else would be able to have the ear of the king in that moment. At least no other Jewish person in that location. But for the places that God has placed you in, it may be that in that step, you are doing it with the support of all the other people standing behind you and beside you. It does not mean that you have to act alone. Verse 17 says this, So Mordecai went away and carried out all of Esther's instructions. You see, Esther knew the value of community. And she asked for what she needed. She said, I need your help in this before I go in and do this thing, not knowing what will happen. Friends, when you need support in order to move forward, ask for help. Ask for what you need. I don't think it's wrong for me to say this, but there are times where I'm reminded that my wife is not a mind reader. That I actually have to speak words out loud of what is going on in my brain at that moment. Amen. Amen. That is true. Ask for what you need. 
And when someone has asked you for help, know that it has already taken an act of courage on their part to even speak up to you in the first place. So do what you can. Help how you can. Support. Pray. You might be the only person that they trust enough to reach out. Once you have the help and support of others, or you are the help and support for someone else, what then remains but one thing? You see, God did use Mordecai to speak truth into Esther's situation, and Esther enlisted the help of her community, and even though that was all great, one thing remained but for her to act following through on what only she could do. Even though the name of God is mentioned nowhere in this book overtly, we can see the hand of God's leading throughout this story. We feel the work and inspiration of his Holy Spirit moving. And friends, for you and me today, recognize that God is always and still at work in your life, even when you can't see it, or feel it, or know it. Trust the leading of God's active presence with you. Listen and look around for those people that God has placed in your path. Enlist the support of others when you are facing a significant decision. And then when the moment comes, move. Take that step, a step of courage. An act of faith. Just like that dad placing his children in the care of a woman that he had just met. And just like that woman took that step as well. Perhaps God has placed you in this position for just such a time as this. Community of faith, let's God, I thank you that in your word, we can see your hand. A presence that leads and guides and is at work even when we can't see it. God, I pray now that for each person here, you would remind us that you have lovingly handcrafted us. You know us better than anyone else. You love us fully and completely. You choose to use us to accomplish your will here on earth. God, will you reveal those steps for each of us? Give us that strength and courage in the moment to make the step that is necessary. God, may your will be done. In Jesus' name we pray. Church, keep on praying for peace in the week to come especially. And hear these words from Philippians. May the peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Go now in peace, enabled by your Redeemer and empowered by the Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.